and welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Raider Power Podcast. I'm Ryan, and with me as always is my man Moss and our boy Evan. How we doing today, fellas? Doing okay. Doing okay. I've recently just started take doing therapy again, so I'm trying to keep calm and uh, you know have a positive outlook on life. So uh, yeah, that's me now. <laughs> Evan, how are you doing? Man, it seems like one week I'm doing good, the next week bad, the next week good, the next week bad. So I'm just ready for a little consistency in my life, I guess, with Texas Tech sports. You know what's consistent is that nasty mustache on your face. Hey, man, that's two weeks in a row. That's strike two. I'm going to let that last one slide. What, that's your second strike with the law hanging around elementary schools? <laughs> three, strike, three strike rules on there? If I could jump through this computer and slap you, you'd already been slapped. I already have a restraining order on you, but anyways, let's get into it. Yeah, right. sure. Um, so I was at a wedding on Saturday and didn't get to actually watch the game, but I tracked it on my phone, and it seems like another goddamn heartbreak for the Red Raider faithful. Uh, going down early is never going to be a good way to win a game. We talked about getting out to a fast start being important. I thought that they were making some sort of magical comeback and maybe they're gonna keep our dreams of a seven and five bowling season alive and instead as the boys said we're kind of back down in the dumps already yeah i mean that's the most classic texas tech football game i mean it's just stereotypical tech blowing it when you have a chance to win and being up i mean a lot of fight. they had they played with like a lot of fight in the second half i thought jet duffy played really well um Overall, Patterson's defensive schemes were not enough for uh, Patterson. So, you know, uh, it was a it was a tough one to watch, Ryan. Yeah, I was I was actually there, gentlemen, in, in Lubbock watching the game, and it, it sure is tough to come back whenever you go down uh, that big that early. Um, I was proud of we our did. guys how how we battled, how we fought back. Um, I think that Yost actually called a pretty decent game with the exception of too many bubble screens once again. Um, but, again, I don't want to put the blame on a single person, but if I had to say where we lost the game is on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we gave up 549 yards to TCU, and, and, and that's just tough to win a Big 12 game that way. It, it's really tough when you give up that many yards to stay in it. Evan, yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on the reason we lost that game. I think the reason we lost that game, in hindsight, is that Matt Wells just kept going for two-point conversions <laughs> and failing. I mean, it happened over and over again just after one <clears throat> missed extra point. I don't know right. why he was doing that. We lost by two points. If we had kicked extra points on both of those, it would have been tied. Yeah, you know, that's just one of saying. those things where, like, like you said, it's an in-hindsight thing. And it is brutal to lose a game when you can kind of point to extra points being the problem. Like, when you have three unconverted extra points and you lose by two, that's just something that, like, you want to rip your eyes out. But for some reason, the coach calls it, thinks it's smarter to go for two. And there is, like, you know, people claim there's math behind that, but I think it's a bunch of hooey. And to see you lose by two on that type of in that way, yeah, it's brutal. But for me, the the thing that I can't comprehend is they get up one, right? Mm -hmm. And then with five and a half minutes left, TCU kicks a field goal to go up two. Yes, five and a half minutes. Yeah, it's not like we had thirty seconds to try to make a miracle play. 
there was a significant amount of the ball game left, and they couldn't put anything together to even get in field goal range mm-hmm. with five and a half minutes. Like, you gotta have some more resolve there. You gotta. I mean, they showed a bunch of fight to get back in it, but you gotta. I don't know. You you gotta find a way to dig deep there, deep in the fourth quarter, and put up more than three points in the final quarter. And you know, we were looking like at the very end of the game that we were gonna drive down and win it. Yeah. Um, you know, Jet. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a slant route to McLean Mannix. I know it was to McLean, and you can't put the blame on him because because bad things can happen. But um, certainly that that fumble and turnover at the end of the game, giving the ball back to TCU, was a heartbreaker there. Um, mm. But I just want to talk about the overall play of Jet Duffy. I thought that he played really, really well, all yeah. things considering. You know, he was 19 for 33. Um, his completion percentage could have been a little bit better, but 333 yards for four touchdowns, uh, one interception that really wasn't his fault at the beginning of the game. I think it was our first drive when our receiver just got clocked, and it was kind of like a tip drill type thing. But, you know, I think he had 170-plus uh, QBR, which for a uh, college quarterback is certainly above average. Jet played really well. I thought our offense did a, a good job. But, again, <clears throat> Chris, I agree with you, but – 550 yards against TCU, a mediocre offense. That You can't do that. You can't do that and win a game. You know, what I noticed is like Chris has said this time and time again over the past two years of doing this podcast, but it feels like whenever Tech is going against a quarterback who can, you know, a real dual-threat quarterback, uh, it seems to burn them in. I mean, you saw it here with Duggan throwing for over 300 yards and two touchdowns and running for another 75 and another touchdown. I mean, the the kid beat us on the ground and through the air, and we weren't able to cause turnovers, which, as you said, Evan, in the game beforehand, the West Virginia game, like, they loved the yards, but they caused the turnovers. Here, they didn't cause the turnovers, and, you know, they couldn't take away the ball from the offense when they needed to. See, that's why I think that West Virginia was a little bit misleading, because we forced four turnovers, but the amount of yardage we gave up was similar to this game. So if you can't come up with those havoc plays and you're giving up those many yards, you know, that's yeah. just a, a recipe for disaster. Now, uh, you know, I'm going to give all the credit in the world to to the true freshman quarterback for TCU. Yeah. Um, I thought that he played an exceptional mm. game. I don't know what it is about TCU, but their quarterbacks always play lights out against us. Have you noticed that? Oh, uh, yeah. They did not last year. Not last year. <laughs> last year was great. I want to bet with uh, a man who was in the TCU Hall of Fame, and he had to wear a tech jersey around our office all day. It was electric. Shout out, let me, Dr. Say, let, me, let me say most of the time. Most of the time they play a fantastic game against Texas Tech. And um, I don't know. Patterson had his his boys ready to play, and they outplayed us. Hey, you know, uh, know what it is, the, with, like you were saying, with you need to cause the turnovers? Like, I'm fine with the, that style of defense because there are coaches who historically, like, that is how they play defense, right? They are not afraid to give up the chunk plays because they know that they're trying to make the turnovers. And, you know, if that's going to be your style, I'm fine with it. But, I mean, when it doesn't work out, you end up looking like an idiot. I mean, the guy who's the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma now, Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch, that's what he came into Oklahoma, and he said, that's what we're going to do, you know. We're going to fly around on the field. People might beat us deep, but we're going to hit you in the backfield. We're going to cause turnovers. And, you know, for them, it works for the most part. And we just have to... You have to execute when you want to do that type of a D. You got to play with speed. You got to play fast and hit people hard. That is, but that is the game plan that Texas Tech has had on defense for four years. I mean, David Gibbs well, was the same thing. I think, 
But I think with Gibbs, it was more just let up big plays and just still never turn the ball, get turnovers. <laughs> well, I got, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just let up big plays. Uh, big stat, Evan, I got a couple stats for you on this one. Ready? Hit the, me. the away team in this game, TCU-Texas Tech, has won the last five meetings. Wow. Yeah, that's just a little fact out there. And then the stat that can get your blood boiling here is that TCU was 15 for 24 on third down. Oh, that makes Do you me know the sick. average length? That of makes me. That make. I'm sorry, Ryan. That makes me sick. Mm-hmm. The fact that our defense allowed 15 third down conversions yep. on 24 attempts. That is disgusting. And uh, I mean, we are ninth in the league on third down defense with a allowing a 44.7% success rate. But, and let's talk Kansas about. This is the only one that. Let's scores. talk about top too. Good gosh, did TCU have the ball much, much longer than oh, Texas? Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you convert 15 third downs. You just make these long fucking drives, and then your defense on the field all day. I mean, Texas only punted it four times and and turned it over twice, right? Like, that's only six possessions when they didn't get a score. And, I mean, how long did TCU well, have the ball? Three quarters like, of the game? I feel like part of that is a little skewed because – a lot of our scoring drives were pretty quick. But I'm saying that that leads even more into it. It's just you have to get the defense off the field. Right. You can't, can't let TCU just always have the fucking ball. And then right. go three and out when it really matters. And then your defense is gas. And they don't have their leader behind them with Jordan Brooks, which we saw was a big you – know, I mean, he's he, – I mean, everyone says, you know, he's one of the best, you know, defensive players in the Big 12, one of the top in the nation. But that that's that team's <clears throat> heart and soul. I mean, mm. they just could not – they couldn't get enough pressure on the quarterback. Yep. It, didn't, it didn't look like they were, you know, a combined unit on the defensive and, side and, of things. And and speaking of, like, the quarterback, when Brooks is on the field, a lot of time he's playing that quarterback spy for you too. Mm-hmm. So you don't get hit with that dual threat. The quarterback can't roll out of the pocket because guess who's waiting for him? It's big Jordan Brooks. Now, and, if, if I can, gentlemen, transition real quick. Let's talk about three key – injury slash inactive starting with the man himself jordan brooks what have you guys heard what did you see and what do we think that's gonna be the future for brooks moving forward the rest of the season so i mean his injury right isn't season ending um it wasn't he supposed to be playing next week is that right if everything goes according to plan the thing is like i mean this team is now four and six we're going to have to win these last two games to be bowl eligible. And he is a potential pick in, you know, top four rounds ish in the NFL draft. Does he want to sit out and, you know, preserve his body and make sure that he's right for the draft? I, I'm kind of uh, leaning towards that. We saw it know, with Tua. I mean, Tua went down. He's out. That was you know, a Ky- that he Mel was Kiper. Mel Kuyper throughout the past few weeks has had Brooks going as one of the top linebackers in the draft. Yeah, but I mean, Texas Tech, I just don't, he probably is going to go, you know, top four round. I, I see him as a top four round guy, you know, maybe yeah. maybe late second at best, you know, but I'm saying top four rounds. What I'm saying is he needs to be but healthy. People, people have been calling him the highest rise, the fastest rising draft prospect on the defensive side because people didn't see it coming. Right. When, you know, yeah. But no, you're right. But you're right. It's a Texas Tech defensive player. Could definitely drop. That's not that's not the point here. Is the point is he gonna is he gonna play in the next couple games? I I would lean on the side of caution with that and make sure that he's yeah. healthy. I mean, you don't want to to rush back into something when there's only two games left. 
But, you know, I would love to see him on the field, and I feel like he really is a team guy that wants to be out there. But if he decided to not rush back and to think about his future, I would be, you know, I, I wouldn't hold that against him at all. I no. think that, that would be, you know, making the business decision. And, you know, he's had such a great year, and he's done his best to get us wins this year. Yeah, nothing's been on him, yep. you know. No, totally agree, Ryan. Uh, time will tell with Mr. Brooks. Moving on to Dalton Rigdon. Uh, one of our receivers, we saw him get uh, absolutely smoked. smoked with the targeting penalty. Um, it was a scary moment uh, being there because none of us could tell what was going on, and he was down. It looked like he, was, he wasn't moving a whole lot, and thankfully he got up and left. But we'll have to, uh, we'll have to pay attention to Rigdon moving forward because uh, everybody knows that Yost loves the screen, and, and Mr. Rigdon is the fastest man on the field aside from, from Carter running those screens. And um, – he, he's a vital part to the offense, so uh, obviously best wishes to him moving forward for his health, but we need him on the football field. So I haven't heard a whole lot in regards to his health status, and just curious if you guys have heard anything either. All I've seen is he's in concussion protocol. Uh, they re- I haven't seen them really re- release anything else about it. Bro, I, I'm on the side of him sitting out as well. I mean, he needs to get his body right. It, I I just need I need them to just get everything ready for next season. I just don't I mean, want I don't I, want. Any... I definitely don't think he's going to be back next week. Yeah, and then why would he be back for the Texas game? <laughs> I just don't see it happening. I'll, yo, you're a tech player. You want to be in that game, you know? Right. It's right. like an iconic game every year, and like maybe Brooks too. Like Brooks, it might be like his last game as a Texas Tech player. He probably wants to play against. It Texas. depends if they win against Kansas State. If they're five you know, and six then they all should be playing to be go to the bowl, go to yeah, the bowl game. But, I agree with you, Chris, because you think two years ago the players were playing for Cliff, yeah, right? Everyone knew exactly. they had to win that final game to keep his job alive. And that's not the case for Matt Wells at all, but you better believe that all of these players want to see Matt succeed. So I think if there's a chance to go bowling, that they're going to show up and play if there's any any way possible. But moving on to the third and final, this is an injury – not an injury, but uh, rather a violation of team rules. We've seen T.J. Vasher out uh, this previous game as well as the one before against West Virginia. What are your thoughts there, and, and what can we expect to see in the future from Mr. Vasher? Well, I, I saw that they called it an indefinite suspension. So I don't know if he's – is he coming back this year? Or is he not? Has anyone heard anything about what actually happened to, for him to violate the team rules? Chris, if you don't mind me taking this one, I think that there are multiple speculations out there, and I don't think they're worth talking about until anything's been substantiated. But certainly he did something that didn't vibe with Wells. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, college football is a business. you gotta you got to obey and listen to the boss, the head coach. And, and if he disobeyed what, whatever – <laughs> oh, sorry. That was my, okay. my phone. All right. Well, uh, I wasn't going to go there, but I, I didn't uh, say anything. Now it's out. I was on so ESPN. Wells, Wells has said indefinite suspension, but he's still on the team. He's you know, I, day to day. If you want my personal opinion, I would be surprised if we see Mr. Vasher suit up in a Texas Tech uniform again. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what. Mr. As far Wells as draft stock not... goes, that really burns him. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Wells does not seem like the type of guy that's going to let this one slide. Nope. No. If you, I mean, uh, we we've heard now the cast's out of the bag. <laughs> so we've heard we've heard uh, rumors of, of potential uh, drug abuse. Sources. 
from from the the all star receiver. Hmm. Um, allegedly, this was not his first offense under the Wells regime. Uh, I'm I'm in agreement with you, Chris. I would be very very surprised if Matt Wells lets this lets this uh, go by. I bet Mr. T.J. Vasher is done. I mean, all three of us live in states where it's legal. Matt Wells is a is a Utah boy living in uh, Lubbock, Texas. So I just don't, I think I think I don't see that soda with sliding. sugar in it is illegal in Utah. <laughs> that is that's true. Caffeine, uh, unless it's Coca Cola. Coca Cola gave a big uh, donation to the Mormon Church. Uh, they can drink uh, Coke deep, products deep. now. But uh, I just don't see it sliding with Wells, and uh, it's not like his job's on the line. So there's not any pressure for him to let him play. So. And, and I'll tell you this, with T.J. Vasher, like, it's tough because, like, we, we all know he's going to declare for the NFL draft this year. We all know he has incredible talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with this type of a, a dark mark on your resume this late in your career, right before the draft, it really doesn't bode well, especially when this has been called one of the most talented, uh, you know, wide receiver draft classes since the draft, the Odell's draft class that had the likes of, you know, like Odell, and like four other guys have already been all stars. They just said there's like, oh, like basically a 50 receiver deep class. It's an incredible yeah. class. Yeah. So Plus this, he hasn't I really had any huge games this year. It's not like he's had. No. He yeah. hasn't made any spectacular catches like he did last year against Ole Miss. This has just been pretty much like business as usual for him, trying to learn this new scheme. And Texas Tech has had a terrible year this year. So. Uh, his draft stock probably was better last year than it is this year, and now you got that little, like you said, green mark uh, this year. So, yeah, I mean, all the all the best wishes to Mr. Vasher moving forward. He's a junior, so hopefully we'll see him in the red and black coming back next year. But moving right along, big game next week at home versus the Kansas State Wildcats. Um, obviously, this is a must-win game if we want to have a chance to go bowling. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you guys looking for out of this game, um, and why? Well, Evan, I'm going to be there, and uh, it's going to be you know my first game in person this year. Uh, I'm looking for the home crowd to show up. I would like to, for you to speak on you know home attendance at the TCU game, because from what I was seeing on TV, it looked like the place was 50% empty. Yep, I won't. Uh, I, I won't. Uh, I'm not gonna sugarcoat this one. I won't sugarcoat this one at all. The student attendance was atrocious against TCU. Yeah, it was. Um, and the season ticket holders didn't show up like they should either. I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't somewhat full, but I was really disappointed in our fan base. I agree with you, Chris. I mean, God, we got to buy into this program because they feed off of it, whether we yeah. want to believe it or not. They, they feed off of it 100. percent and when they look up and they're down and they see that student section 30, 40% full, what do you think that does to our confidence yep. uh, for our players? You know, I mean, I mean, look at it from the basketball side of things. You got guys lining up to try to get tickets to get into the USA. And that's making, you know, recruits want to come play there because the atmosphere is so electric. They want to make those yeah. big dunks in front of the crowd and go crazy. When there's only, you know, what, 10,000, 15, 20,000 people in the stadium at, uh, at the Jones, it's it doesn't have the atmosphere, like you said. And, you know, the Jones used to be one of the most electric stadiums in the country, you know, 10 years ago. That place was crazy, and that was a huge home field that's, advantage. That's exactly what I was going to say, Chris. As lifelong tech fans, how funny is it that the script has been 100% flipped? Yeah. Used to, you couldn't get people in the... Sprint Arena yeah, after just, night left. Yeah, you pay fifty bucks, you got courtside seats. Exactly, but uh, 
big game coming up. I think that uh, for me, um, the biggest key is going to be our defense stepping up, figuring out how to how to put together a game. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, personally, even against Iowa State uh, in that loss two weeks ago, um, our offense played relatively well. I think if our offense is playing how we're playing the past um, the past three games, that we're going to be okay. Our defense has to step up. And before we move on, I want to give you guys a chance to to let me know your thoughts if if you have anything else to say on it. Well, we haven't seen a home win at the Jones since October 5th. You know, we've talked about it before of you got to implement this whole idea of protecting home field. And we have, you know, I I just would love to see to end the season with or the end the home season with a win. And we've talked about it before about how, you know, Wells has been good about, you know, teaching the guys to come back from adversity. And we've seen it twice before in two of their wins, uh, the Oklahoma State win and the West Virginia win. And I think this is going to be the biggest adversity they've faced all year, even more so than the Kansas loss, because, you know, you need to win out to make a bowl, first off. Second off, you're going to be missing, most likely going to be missing your best defensive player, two of your, like, best receivers, and you're going to have to really chalk something up that's going to be able to beat this Kansas State team, who we've seen beat good teams so far this year. So I think the important thing is, you know, you're right, the offense has been good, and I think... Someone needs to lead the defense uh, in, in Brooks's uh, absence. And I'm looking to Rico Jeffers. I want to see him have a big game in that linebacker spot, filling in for Brooks, and really, you know, getting the guys fired up and, and making a big statement on defense. Yeah, and Ryan, uh, I'm going to add on to this. Kansas State, like you said, has had some big wins. This team is has been up and down all year. Um, they just lost to West Virginia 24-20. They lost to Texas 27-24, beat Kansas, and then, you know, prior to that, beat Oklahoma. Uh, In this West Virginia game, uh, the West Virginia quarterback went 20 for 30, 234 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. Kansas State's quarterback, Skylar Thompson, dual threat guy, 300 yards through the air, one touchdown, two interceptions. So... This is the game that Texas Tech needs to play, and what they've need to, what they've needed to play in every win that they've gotten so far is win the turnover battle, and yep. you know that's yep. that's just going to have to be Patterson uh, drawing up some things schematically to get you know get us the ball back and get us the ball back enough times where we can put together good drives with Jet Duffy because it yeah. looks like Kansas State has a pretty good rush defense, so. This is going to be a big game for Jet Duffy. I think he's going to I think he's going to show up and he's been the man the last few games. So, he's just improving under uh Yotes system. So, No, Chris, I think that was really well said. Um I want to move on to some Texas Tech basketball, but before we do, oh, let's, let's talk let's talk about the most important <laughs> game aside from our game in the Big 12. <laughs> How about the Baylor Bears falling to the Oklahoma Sooners? I believe I believe that Oklahoma went for what? Was it 24 points unanswered to beat the Bears? Oh All right, let, let me uh, lead off on this one. You know, we talked about the team of destiny, the Baylor Bears. Mm. And I'll tell you what, at the beginning of this game, mm. I was feeling pretty smart saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're up 28-3. to three. Mm. They are holding this Oklahoma offense. This electric Oklahoma offense with who I think is the best receiver in the nation in C.D. Lamb. Um, play. You know, uh, but oh, I'm saying there. That's 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 probably why they're holding a uh, <laughs> tough start. Then that makes sense. 
maybe Jalen Hurts can't do shit without his receivers. But then he remembered how to play football. Mm. Jalen Hurts remembered, wait, I am good at football. Mm. And it went from 28-3 to to somehow this defense shutting out Baylor in the second half Mm -hmm. and coming back to win 34-1. to So maybe they got the destiny in their own head and they thought they had it wrapped up. And they (laughs) fucked up big time. I mean, Charlie Brewer at the start of this game looked like a Heisman candidate. He was playing so well. Rushing for two touchdowns, I believe, and throwing for two as well. Uh, I smell. I felt like the smartest guy alive, choosing them to go to the playoff. Uh, and then everything came crashing down. Their offense could not do absolutely anything. Their defense got gassed. They were lucky to even be in this thing in the fourth quarter, since they got that fumble recovery in the end zone, where Oklahoma could have been, you know, <clears throat> seven point more. Uh, added another seven onto their score. Uh, they were they were they were lucky to have an opportunity and to, to come tie this thing up or win it. Yeah. My... I'm telling you, I, I I missed most of this game as well because of that wedding. But I was tracking on my phone when I saw Oklahoma came back. God. I thought to myself, like you did, they're only down three. This is this is when Baylor wins. They they yeah. need a one score win. Exactly, that's exactly, the only way they can that's exactly what but I thought too. It feels like Charlie Brewer forgot that he had Denzel Mims in the second half. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what happened? It... Why keep throwing him to Mims? He's incredible. Yep. Yep. Well, obviously a huge game there, big time uh, implications for for a Big 12 team making a, a playoff uh, contender there. But if you guys are okay, how about we talk a little bit Texas Tech basketball? Yeah. Can, I, can I do a, one more football question for Abs- you? Absolutely. We, we, we talked big time last week about the playoff and who's going to get in yep. and the big time implications of two teams that could that could change everything which yep. are Baylor and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We see them both go down mm. uh, this week, Minnesota losing to Iowa, Baylor losing to Oklahoma, and we see Tua go down for the season. Mm-hmm. With Tua out in that loss, you know, the college football committee, they take into account injuries, so they're not going to put Alabama in without Tua. So with uh, no Tua, uh, and now, you, now you're looking at that Penn State, <clears throat> you're looking at, Oklahoma, or you're looking at Ohio State, Clemson, LSU and that fourth spot, I'm questioning who's it going to go to. If Oregon wins out, could be Oregon. Georgia, I still think is going to have a tough time because they'll get a second loss on their on their schedule. Does Oklahoma have a chance? Does to somehow Baylor have into a it? chance? Does no, Baylor have no, a chance no, if they beat no. Oklahoma though? Nope, I think Baylor's done. Well, if Oklahoma wins the Big Twelve with all these injuries and losses and all this stuff happening, as a Big Twelve champion, say Oregon loses. Does Oklahoma back their way into it, and do we still? But, but Ryan, what if Baylor wins when they do their playoff game? Do they have any do, shot I, to get in? I, no, I think I don't think name, so. I think they had to be undefeated. But they would have the I, same record as Oklahoma. Yeah, it's just a name brand recognition thing. Totally agree with you, Ryan. Hundred okay. percent agree. I, I think that the only cha- I think if Oregon loses in the Pac-10 championship, uh, you know, I think there's a chance that Oklahoma could backdoor their way somehow into the playoff i think there's a small chance for oklahoma to get in i think they have the only chance in the big 12 agreed agreed wholeheartedly but i think we might see what about utah i mean that's a good question too if utah beats oregon in that championship does utah get in but now we got all Uh, these one loss spot i mean yeah i mean two uh, oregon utah and georgia and lsu one of those four teams is going to become a two-loss team they have to. Yeah. Or two of them. Half of them are. <clears throat> so it, it's really interesting to me to see who ends up in that fourth spot. Because it seems like Ohio State, uh, Clemson, and LSU, it seems like they're going to be in. 
Hmm. Maybe they should expand the playoff, brother. Ha, huh, that's a bigger question. Bigger bigger question for that college football committee. I know that's a lot right. of schools want it, and a lot of schools don't, because the schools that are always in it say, yeah, no, four teams fine. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just a question I wanted to poise out there for people to, to think about. And, uh, yeah, Evan, please take it away with basketball. Yeah, yeah, moving forward, uh, we got a couple of kind of smaller games. I don't want to hit on all those, but the, the ones I want to hit on <clears throat> are coming up over the holidays, especially on Thanksgiving. So we see Texas Tech going off and squaring off with Iowa, a really solid, solid basketball team who we saw make some make some shakeups in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, winner of that facing either San Diego State, who, if I'm not familiar, was uh, alma mater of Kawhi Leonard, great basketball team. True. Or or Creighton, uh, historically a fantastic basketball team um, throughout the course of their program. Um it's going to be the first real test for Texas Tech. Now, this is considered an MTE, and that's a multi-team event. And one thing I want to point out is that Chris Beard has been undoubtedly excellent in these MTEs. Okay, last year, Chris, I watched I watched the games with you, I believe. Uh, we saw them go to Kansas City in the Hall of Fame Classic for an MTE taking down USC and Nebraska in mm-hmm. consecutive nights, okay? Mm-hmm. The previous year in 2017, taking down Boston College and then absolutely murdering the number 20-ranked Northwestern team. Mm-hmm. Destroying them. I mean, that was a bloodbath. Right, and that, and that was to win the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. So we've seen Texas Tech really dominate in these MTEs under Chris Beard, and hopefully we continue that trend. This is the first real test under Chris Beard. Um, following that game, we have DePaul, who again is a fantastic team, but arguably the most exciting non-conference game, especially with Kentucky's loss to Evansville, comes on December the 10th, and we are going to go to New York City, Madison Square Garden, to face off against the number two team in the nation, the Louisville Cardinals. That is going to be a big game, my friends. I have had that game circled since before the season started. Louisville it looks incredible this year. They got the kid, uh, they call him the Irish Hulk, uh, the freshman that came over from Ireland. He's unbelievable. And you know what? This is a massive game, like you said. I love having it happen, you know, kind of earlier on in the season because this is a game that I could see a rematch happening deep in college, in the, in the tournament. Totally Ryan, agree. I couldn't agree with you more. I want to bring up something that maybe you guys can look up. It's kind of funny. Uh, have you guys seen the Tennessee State logo? Oh, yeah, we got them next, don't we, Chris, next <laughs> <Yeah>. Thursday? <laughs> Just take a quick second, and the listeners out there, I would like you guys to Google the Tennessee State basketball logo and tell me if that looks anything familiar, because I thought we were playing LSU this whole time. Yeah, sure, sure looks like an LSU with a are little, you, uh, are you little cross me? on it. Are you kidding me? Whoever designed this thing couldn't come up with anything a little bit better. I think they took a picture of Mike the Tiger and just wrote Tennessee State underneath it. Dude, it's it's, it's LSU. It looks exactly like LSU with a little dash on the side. Anyways, uh, the reason uh, Evan, I believe that Chris Beard is so successful in these uh, what'd you call it? Multi what? MTEs. MTEs is I just don't think these teams are ready or experienced enough to go against our defense. I think we just total be, totally bewilder them. They're not in the Big 12, so that, you know usually they're not looking at Texas Tech, you know, studying them all the time. Maybe things have changed. 
well, probably things have changed now with you know the national recognition of Chris Beard and Adams' defensive scheme. But before, I just don't think they were ready for the aggressiveness that we can close down on them on D. And uh, I think we surprise a lot of people when that happens. And that especially, I mean, especially in March Madness the last couple of years, we've seen us yeah. just re- wreck havoc on teams that don't know enough about Texas Tech. Yeah, I think it's a mix of that. And I think that Chris Beard, I think when they are playing for something, you know, in a tournament, playing to win like this multi-team event, you know, it's technically a mini tournament that you can win or the Big 12 tournament, you can win that or not, or the March Madness, you know, obviously the biggest achievement in like all of college sports winning that i think chris beard has an innate ability to pump up the players and have them really step up when they're playing for something more than just one game it doesn't even seem like chris beard really cares about the big 12 tournament though the last couple of years he really <laughs> doesn't even i mean we lost to west virginia last year no, yeah, we won the ever... championship though. we did oh, we, you know, did. we, we did. won it i guess you know he takes you know maybe a couple of days off to get to the the finals of march madness but yeah, yeah, he he makes the players, you know, probably, I mean, God, I would love to sit with them and hear what he has to say when he's preparing for these games, but, you know, it's it's going 1-0. He treats it just like March Madness. It's just he gets them so focused and prepared to play. Um, God, it's just a total different animal, like you said, Ryan, when there's something that they're playing for. Definitely. You know, I, I again, I'm I excited really, to see these I, freshmen go in there. You know? I cannot wait for Thanksgiving Day because it, it really – I mean, obviously we got to take care of business against some teams leading up to it. But first real test is against Iowa, November 28th. It's going to be a, a, a big-time game, and I'm, I'm ready to see it. I mean, let's talk about a little bit about what our guys are doing um, throughout the start of this season. Okay, We see Jemias Ramsey leading the team with 19 points a game. I don't think that's a whole lot of surprise there. We knew that this guy was going to come in and absolutely ball out. Also leading the team in rebounds with 6.3 rebounds a game. Moving along to TJ Holyfield, what a beautiful yeah. surprise. He's, I thought you know, I thought he was going to be good, okay? But I didn't think he was going to be this good this early. You know, very very close behind Jemias with 18.7 points a game. Five rebounds going along with 1.7 assists. But, again, my favorite player on the whole squad, undoubtedly, Mr. Chris Clark. Oh. Unselfish, makes every single person on his team better, leading the team um, with with uh, over six assists, um, right there with Jemias for 6.3 rebounds a game. That dude is unconscious, and he just, man, I'm I, I love how he plays. Yeah, you know, great for you, you know, great bringing up uh, Chris Clark. He's very unselfish, and Chris Beard has said, you know, he's going to be leading the team in some games and scoring, so this guy is just yet to blossom for us. Um, I want to add in a little thing. Uh, top points per game leader is Jordan Rowland, no other than from our alma mater, Northeastern. Leading yes, the country, he is. There you leading the country. He has been draining threes like it's nobody's business he has been the first couple games he was outrageous i mean you see at northeastern they lose vasa pusica you know Uh. the best player for the past couple years he's playing overseas in europe right now and then they lose their uh you know gresham that he transferred to georgia actually and he's been playing great for georgia they lose their point guard and you know not to go on a northeastern ramp but people Mm. start thinking Mm. how is this team going to make it back to the tournament if uh you know they're losing arguably their best two players of last year. And I'll tell you how it's one man named Jordan Rowland draining threes from downtown Dan Brown. 
Yeah, you'll have to forgive me. I can't. Uh, I can't provide a lot of insight there, but I'll take your boy's word for it. <laughs> yeah, he put up forty-two against Harvard. Oh my Harvard. gosh, our boy's wicked good. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Anyway, you know, you yeah. boys got anything else? I think that just about wraps up this week in Texas Tech. I mean, college football—it's going to be a grind these last two games, and really got to hope they can pull something out in their last home game. And basketball, the season's just getting more and more exciting. So I'm just looking forward to, you know, watching this team play against some good opponents and take them down. Evan, let's That's see right. if we can get some press passes to the meat judging competition when we're back in Lubbock together. I think that's uh, that's going to be a tough, tough sell, Chris, because, you know, we're 14-time national champions there. So you, you might have to know the right meat judger to get in with that. Have you either of you seen the Sports Illustrated article about Texas Tech's meat judging team? No. Sports Illustrated wrote, like, a multiple-page article <laughs> highlighting this one. Uh, I'm sorry, I forget her name. But apparently her mom was a Texas Tech. Her grandparents went to Texas Tech. And she was born and bred to be a Texas Tech world-class meat judger. I am 100% serious. I will find it. <laughs> And send it to you. They called Texas Tech the Alabama of meat judging, and said they won seven of the last eleven national championships. <laughs> nah, never mind. I don't know. <laughs> you in this mustache, dude. My God. Uh, are you gonna call him a meat judger? Yeah, yeah I was. Gonna, I, I was gonna make a comment. Whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever. Well, well hey, let's, they're let's world close class. This up before anything happens. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, you know, I think we're looking ahead. So I'm Ryan. I'm Chris. And I'm Evan. This has been the Raider Power Podcast. Guns up, fellas. Guns up, baby. Guns up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Stole your side.